Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We tell the stories of the pioneers and innovators building businesses in hemp across the U.S. So together, we figured we would approach our, our state senator and ask if we could get legislation introduced. Um, so we uh, initiated getting the legislation introduced and passed here in Pennsylvania, and I've been active ever since. For many of us, the term lobbyist has a decidedly sinister connotation, implying scenarios of backroom deals made between politicians and the powers that be. In today's political climate, it's difficult to see the benefit of the seemingly pay-to-play system. But are there actually people lobbying for positive change? Erica McBride Stark, along with her husband, local historian and author Les Stark, began a grassroots effort at the state level to lobby on behalf of industrial hemp in 2012. Erica and Les left full-time employment to become activists long before the passage of the 2014 Farm Bill, which opened the door for industrial hemp to make a return to the American farm. What began as a dream has now become reality for Erica, and it has also become clear that despite her hard work thus far, the work has only just begun. And I'm co-host Cameron McIntosh, and this is the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. For listeners who don't know who you are, uh, could you just give us a little background of how you entered the the world of hemp? Yes, I I do blame my husband for sucking me into this. (laughs) (laughs) I met him six years ago, and uh, his name's Les Stark, and as you know, he's a, a hemp historian here in Pennsylvania. And I'd heard about hemp, obviously, you know, most of my adult life, but didn't really start to understand the impact it could have until I met him and started learning a whole lot more. And what was it about hemp that drew you in? Primarily for me, it was always the environmental aspects and uh, wanting to find a way to help farmers, uh, learning of all the benefits that hemp can have, not only as a cash crop, but its improvement of soil health, the amount of CO2 it sequesters, uh, and just the overall environmental impacts was was a big attraction for me. So you're the executive director of both the National Hemp Association and the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. What do these organizations do for our listeners that don't know? We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to seeing the hemp industry be rebuilt here in Pennsylvania. Obviously, most of our efforts over the last several years had been working towards getting the legislation after actually passed, not only on a state level, but on the federal level as well. And now that that is accomplished, we are transitioning to be more of an actual trade association and providing people who are interested in getting into the space with the resources they need to do so in a, a conscientious manner. Were you the only two involved at this point? Or did you have others helping you? Um, initially, it was Les and I personally. Uh, it was uh, probably, I don't remember if it was six, six, somewhere between six months and a year into the process was when we met Jeff Whaling and decided to form the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council in order to be able to fully separate the hemp issue from the overall cannabis issue and focus strictly on industrial hemp. So that's how we came to form the the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. When was the first moment 
uh, you know, give us give us sort of like a a story or an anecdote when you found yourself in a in a situation, you know, in front of legislators that you'd only dreamed of before. You know, back in those days, this was really my my first taste of active lobbying, and it was a little bit intimidating and daunting. Through actually doing it, we realized that a, a small, dedicated group of individuals actually does have the power to make positive change in, in a representative democracy. If you're passionate about something, and certainly when being right is on your side, individuals can have a big impact and, and make positive change. What types of businesses are you hearing from most? Who's, who's reaching out to you right now since the passage of the Farm Bill? Um, most of the inquiries we get are people who are looking to um, to cultivate or grow, and those people need resources such as uh, sourcing their genetics and also understanding we're, we're kind of in a limbo period right now. So while the federal farm bill has passed and, and hemp is no longer a controlled substance on the federal level, due to the government shutdown and other factors, the, the program has not been implemented yet. There's obviously some interest from uh, the Amish community then? Yes, I've been hearing a lot from the Amish community over the last several weeks. Um, a lot of them want to look to replace a lot of their tobacco crops. They seem to be primarily interested in CBD crops at this time, not only because of the, the higher uh, dollar value, but also because those crops tend to be a lot more labor intensive and they're not afraid of that hard work and it's, it's sort of right in their wheelhouse and substituting tobacco for CBD hemp is, is sort of a natural transition for them. What is their plan for the CBD market? Are they just doing wholesale or are they going to start branding their own CBD oil? Uh, primarily what I'm hearing is that they're just interested in farming it and selling the, the plant material to somebody else to handle the processing side. You know, there's certainly a, a lot more legalities involved in the processing and taking the product to the end market than there is on just the, the straight cultivation side. But we're also seeing other ancillary businesses come on the scene too now that there is possibility of crop insurance. Uh, so that's another business that we're starting to see make products available, which is an important aspect of the industry is, is having crop insurance. And we're also seeing a lot more investors inquiring as to how they can get involved and, and help either startups or businesses who are in the space that are looking to expand. And where does Pennsylvania stand compared to other states? I'd say Pennsylvania is, is pretty much right up there of friendly states, especially with how they've modified the program for this year. Um, obviously, this is going to be our third year, so we have two years of experience under our belt. Now, certainly other states like Colorado and Kentucky and Oregon have had much larger production than we have over the last two years, but I think you're going to see Pennsylvania rapidly catch up removal of the acreage cap. If someone's looking to start a business uh, in the hemp space, um, what advice do you have for them? It really depends on which aspect of the industry they're looking to get into. Um, most times when people, they do say just that, I want to get into the hemp space, what do I do? Pretty broad. And as you know, the, there's lots of aspects to the hemp space. I mean, you know, first thing in your mind is you have to determine what is your primary objective? Are you going to grow it for fiber or for grain or for CBD? Um, fiber and grain versus CBD are very, very different business models and require very different equipment. Um, 
just a, an overall different approach to how you're going to go about it. So first and foremost, that determination has to be made before any you know rational decisions can be made of, of how to proceed. Um, for fiber, I, I think that is long-term going to be where the bulk of the industry lies when we get to full manufacturing and building products and car parts. That's where really large acreage is going to need to be grown. But obviously CBD is, is where the money's at right now and where there's a lot of interest. Um, the wild card in that regard is how is the FDA going to regulate CBD and create a legal regulatory path forward, which we don't have right now. So there still is somewhat that risk involved in not knowing um, what's going to happen with the FDA for CBD. I do expect that they will come up with a reasonable regulatory path, but uh, we're probably not looking at this year for that. Is there any legislation out there in Pennsylvania that's making it easier for Pennsylvania CBD businesses. Senator Schwank, again, being a champion for hemp, has just recently introduced legislation to protect the CBD industry in Pennsylvania by saying that the state will recognize it as both a food ingredient and um, a dietary supplement, which will not only protect the hemp industry, but it will also protect consumers as well by by placing some regulations on the type of facilities that it can be manufactured in and also ensuring that there is a, a clear chain of the source material, knowing that it came from a legal source and that it was uh, cultivated properly without harsh chemicals and things of that nature. So we hope to do all that we can to see that that legislation pass as protection for Pennsylvania, um, regardless of what the FDA does moving forward. What are some of the top resources for hemp-based businesses to connect and access information? Up to this point, everything's sort of been piecemealed on a state-by-state -state basis. We will start to see more data being collected once the USDA program is in place because the states will be reporting to them as to what's going on in the state and they'll be able to compile that data. Also, we're finding that a lot of, particularly on the CBD cultivation and processing side, a lot of businesses are not really willing to share their data um, because they want to keep a competitive edge. We at the, the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council and the National Hemp Association are working on creating more of those resources to try to help. At this point, to be honest, I'm, I'm mostly doing it on a case-by-case -case basis as somebody contacts us and I try to impart what knowledge I can to them until we get to the point where um, we're looking to produce a webinar series um, you know, for farming best practices. You know, once we know what the rules and regulations will be on a federal level, we'll certainly assist in, in that area as well. Um, the National Hemp Association is also working with a couple different people to create a, a safe environment for matching up businesses and investors and also farmers and processors. There's a lot of good people in this industry and there's also a lot of fraud going on right now. So we're trying to find that way to match people up in a, in a safer environment where the, the farmer will have to produce their hemp license. There'll be third-party testing where that data is actually submitted by the lab and not directly by either the farmer or the processor, um, where the processor has to you know, show their, their business licenses and, and 
um, just provide that kind of transparency so both sides of the transaction know who they're dealing with um, as a way to try to facilitate this because it's it's really difficult right now being able to vet companies to find out who's legitimate and who's not. Yeah, the, the industry, um, the, the best way that we can kind of associate it with anything is um, the Wild West. So what's a what's a day what's a day like for you erica <laughs> uh well uh, the typical day is uh getting up early and spending several hours trying to respond to all my emails and then um when the rest of the world wakes up and especially when the, the west coast comes online i usually spend the rest of my day answering the phone <laughs> and talking to people you know in, in addition to trying to find the time to create these these resources I've been talking about, which has sort of been, you know, part of the reason it's been a little slow getting those together, just because I spend so much time talking one-on-one with people, which I'm happy to do, but I would like to be able to get those resources out there. So in addition, on the, the National Hemp Association side, we're, we're gearing up for trade show season, um, and then we have the CWCB Expo series coming up. That's in um, May in New York and September in LA and October in Boston. And you found time to get married in between all of this? (laughs) Uh, Barely. (laughs) (laughs) Barely found time. So we managed to squeeze it in, but it wasn't easy. (laughs) Yeah, my gosh. And it's been nonstop ever since, hasn't it? It has, but it's, it's exciting times and, you know, you know, kind of be careful what you wish for <laughs> kind of scenario, but it is thrilling all the same to, to see all of the efforts um, get us to the point where we can actually build an industry. Yeah. Reflect on that just a little bit for us, Erica. What's, what's it like now um, where you're sort of on the verge of realizing all of your goals? Um, it's, it's a little bit surreal, to be honest. Um, you know, on the one hand, it seems like this journey has taken forever. And on the other hand, it seems like it's all happened so fast, um, just because of the the breakneck speed of, of everything happening and, and a little bit of trying to shift gears now, because, you know, providing resources to build the industry is, is quite different than it is in building resources to educate legislators to, to try to get something passed. But it, it really is humbling and an honor to, you know, to be a part of this, this new industry and meeting all the fantastic people that, that want to do this for all the right reasons. And I really look forward to seeing what the next few years has in store for us not only in Pennsylvania, but on a national level, when we start to see truly that the industry uh, blossom into everything we know it can be. So do you have a favorite product that's made out of hemp? We have a, a long board that is made out of hemp that is amongst my favorites. I have a flooring style. To go skating or to go surfing? Uh, skateboarding. Skateboard. But my children inform me that I'm showing my age by calling it a skateboard and not a longboard. <laughs> yeah, and, and Drew's showing Drew showing his California by asking if it's a surfboard. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll see surfboards made out of hemp in the near future, hopefully. Um, so certainly anything bioplastics I I love to see. Um 
And and also there's a, a new building block that we came and uh, got a sample of last year that has a bioplastic infrastructure into the Hemp Creek block, which allows it to be used without the curing time on the job site, which I think is pretty exciting. So every time I see something new, it's my new favorite thing for a little while. <laughs> and one one fun question. Um what would you, what product, um, if you could just wish for something into existence, what product um, made out of hemp would you like to see? Definitely, I want to see um, water bottles and, and soda bottles be made out of hemp bioplastic. So single-use plastic. Yeah, single-use plastic is is definitely very, very high on my wish list. Agreed. <laughs> Last week, we had the opportunity to catch up with Erica and Les Stark at her studios shortly after they got back from NOCO, and Les offered a little bit of hemp history. Uh, the local hemp industry in Lancaster County between 1720 and 1870, there were over 100 water-powered mills for processing hemp fiber just in Lancaster County alone, and there were dozens more in all the surrounding wow. counties. Here where we're at in Berks County now, where I currently reside, uh, I documented uh, about three dozen hemp mills right here in Berks County. And uh, there was um, about three dozen hemp mills over in York County. And most of these hemp mills had never been documented. A few were known about, but nobody really knew the extent of it. And I went through... Uh, you know, I had to go through what they call primary records, went through tax assessment records, old wills, estate inventories, census of agriculture, census of manufacturing, all kinds of stuff like that. Old newspapers were helpful. And I put together this fascinating story and I found out that this history was larger than anybody had ever imagined. It was so deeply entwined with our heritage and history. Uh, you know, everybody always says, well, George Washington grew hemp and Thomas Jefferson grew it. That's true. Of course they did. Because back up until uh, in Pennsylvania, let's say, up until 1840, virtually every single farmer in the entire state grew hemp. Every farmer, we, you know, Pennsylvania uh, people made 90% of their homespun clothing with hemp. Um, well, with 90% of their homespun clothing, and they only used three fibers. Up in the Northeast, we didn't grow cotton. We only grew, every farmer grew a patch of hemp, they grew a patch of flax, and they raised a few sheep for wool, and that's what they made their homespun clothing. And that's just scratching the surface. Honestly, I could talk about it for days. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. Erica forms the backbone of the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council and the National Hemp Association. If you are a budding hemp business, the benefits of membership to either organization include newsletters curated by Erica that are both informative and useful, as well as access to a vast network of resources that Erica, Les, and Jeff have built over the course of the last decade. If you'd like to reach out to Erica or Les, you can contact them at the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council or the National Hemp Association. There you can find updates on hemp legislation throughout the country, upcoming expos and conferences, and the latest news. And don't forget to become a member to support their cause. So please check it out and remember to subscribe and share to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We are your weekly dose of hemp industry enlightenment, and we look forward to hearing from entrepreneurs in the future who are inspired by what they've heard.